0: On Friday, a huge concert in Houston turned into a tragedy. This was at the World Festival. 50,000 people had shown up. Artist Travis Scott took the stage at around 9 p.m. And as his set started, the crowd pushed toward the front of the stage. After a few minutes, people were crushed and started to pass out. Tell lights on, tell the lights Dozens of people were injured. At least eight people are dead. And this is now considered one of the deadliest concerts in U.S. history. You know, it, it is supposed to be a good time. And this is not something you would expect to be doing after after going to a festival, going to a
1: memorial for the people that died in this, this festival.
0: Today, what we know about what happened at the World Festival And we talked to an expert on what concert organizers could be doing to prevent these kinds of tragedies.
1: We need to know what these risks are. We need to be able to identify them so that we can um, red flag them early enough that uh, the warnings go up and, and, and something can be done about it.
0: From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Monday, November 8th. Today, Houston's police chief released a statement saying that he met with Travis Scott and his head of security to express concerns about safety ahead of the festival. We're trying to learn more details about that conversation, and officials are still investigating what happened Friday night. One of the people injured has already filed a lawsuit against Travis Scott and the concert organizers, saying, quote, They consciously ignored the extreme risks of harm to concertgoers and in some cases encouraged and fomented dangerous behaviors. I just want to send out prayers to the to the ones that was lost last night. We're actually working right now to identify the families so we can help assist them through this tough time. You know, on Saturday, Travis Scott spoke publicly about the concert for the first time. He said that he didn't understand what was happening in the crowd. any time I could make out, you know, anything that's going on, you know, I, you know, I'd stop the show and, you know, help them get the help they need, you know. Um, I could just never imagine the severity of the situation. All of the victims were under the age of 30. The youngest to die was 14 years old. Hearing about what it was like in that crowd, so many of us are wondering, how could this have happened? So we reached out to Keith Still. He's a professor of crowd science at the University of Suffolk in the UK, and he studies how these kinds of events happen and how they could be prevented.
1: It was one of those... uh... Oh no, it's happened again. Situations. There are a, a lot of incidents that uh, occur, but few fatalities. And of course, the fatalities tend to attract uh, an awful lot more uh, media attention. Whereas, uh, you know, the, the personal injury cases we get involved in generally tend to settle out of court and, and become sealed documents. So, never gets fed back into the industry properly. So there are a lot of key learning points that a situation like this, uh, tragic though it is, uh, hopefully will be a wake up call to the industry.
0: So I think so many of us look at what happened here and just have this very basic question of how, like how could these people get crushed in a crowd like that? And from what you understand about this incident so far, what is your answer to that question of how?
1: The bits that we're gleaning in terms of the video footage pre-incident show a high-density, high-energy crowd. So uh, high-density primarily is the catalyst that can give rise to what's called a progressive crowd collapse or a shockwave. Now, that only occurs when crowd densities are to what we call close proximity, that everybody's Mm. physically touching, uh, so they're in body contact. And in those situations, your feet get closer together, the stability of any individual starts to become difficult, uh, to regain your balance, if there's a surge or a push, so you tend to fall over en masse. It's like um, like dominoes cascading. Uh, mm. So you you have this effect where what we call a progressive crowd collapse. It gets bigger, knocks people over, and then of course it's one solid mass. Everybody trying to get up, arms and legs get twisted together. Blood supply gets cut off to the brain. Uh, you become uh, constrained in your breathing uh, and restrictive and constrictive asphyxia can set in within about six minutes.
0: Oh, wow. That is terrifying to hear you describe. When it comes to the situation that prompts something like this, like what happens in a crowd that causes this to start to occur? Like, is it one person or, or what is the dynamic inside this crowd that brings these uh, situations about?
1: Primarily density, it's uh, too many people packed too closely together. Now, uh, when you plan events, you generally tend to uh, take that into consideration. You know, how, how do we make sure that this doesn't happen, that we don't get too high density in, in specific areas, particularly around front of stage? A trained crowd manager, a trained crowd safety individual would um, look at the performer, look at the history of that type of crowd behavior in those environments mm. and design either gold zones, pressure re- release zones, so that um, you can manage that kind of situation. And the difficulty you've got is that once the crowd gets into a high-density environment, it's very difficult to unwind it. So a show stop, uh, calming measures, making everybody step back, uh, that's generally how these things could be handled. Uh, then your management needs to be trained. The pit crew need to be trained to understand and recognise the signs of distress in crowds that are in those kind of environments. Now, if any of those elements are missing, then it can lead to uh, injuries.
0: But but why do you think people don't like don't do that training, or why do you think concerts are held without the people who have those skills?
1: Because it costs money. Safety doesn't make a profit. Mm. So it's generally the last item on the, the budget requisition. But safety should be like an insurance policy, that you need it because if something does go wrong, uh, you know the consequences of not having an appropriate safety training, well, you, you see the consequences.
0: What about the role of medics here? In this particular incident, we've heard reports so far that some of the medics were not able to effectively respond to some of the people who were injured or that they may not necessarily have been trained for these kinds of circumstances. So how do you see medics playing a role in these crowd control situations?
1: Well, whenever we dealt with uh, incident response, in general, the medics can deal with the emergency if they can get to it. But if you've got a crowd collapse uh, and you need to get a vehicle or you need to get paramedics into the crowd to deal with it, that's the problem that they have, is how do I get to the situation? So um, we know, for instance, cardiac arrest, that uh, if you can't get there within five minutes and the chance of sustaining life drops off dramatically. So if somebody has a cardiac arrest for whatever reason, middle of a crowd and a paramedic can't get to them, then uh, you know, the onus there would be on the event organizer. Uh, did you provide sufficient response time for the paramedic to get in and do his job? But uh, the level of training for medical staff is generally extremely high, uh, the highly qualified professionals, but uh, access has always been the typical sticking point. You know the, We just couldn't get there. We couldn't get in quick enough to be able to do anything. And that's, that's the, the sad consequence of high-density crowds in these spaces.
0: And I'm sure in other events that have happened like this, there is a lot of blame to go around. We're seeing now that there is this blame on the people who were in charge of security, blame on the event organizers, but also blame on the artist himself. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that. Like, do you think that there are valid questions to be asked about the artist and the kind of energy that he encourages at an event like this?
1: Well, let's put my expert witness hat on. The first thing I evaluate would be the risk assessment. Were they aware of the risks? Did they communicate those risks to the staff? Did they have an appropriate show stop process procedure in place? Did everybody understand it? If you're planning an event of this nature, you already know the performer, you know the kind of behavior that they might induce in that crowd. And if you're going to have that performer in that environment, then you need to design a safe space and have the right safety crowd management protocols and procedures in place. So primarily the event organizer takes the, the liabilities or the responsibilities of producing what we would call in the UK, the duty of care to the patrons Mm. to provide a safe environment for both the members of the public and the staff and the performers that work in that space. That's your starting point. What what does the documents actually have in place? If any of that is missing, then, of course, the finger starts to get pointed in various directions. But uh, if all of that is in place and a show stop was called and the performer then refused to stop the, the show then, of course, the liability then shifts. But I don't know the facts, so uh, it's uh, dangerous to have conjecture at the moment without actually knowing physically uh, the sequence of events, uh, the analysis of the CCC footage, what was happening earlier in the day, the showstop process and procedures, the level of training, and whether or not they were code compliant.
0: Can you tell me about... Some of your conversations with people who have survived or experienced these kinds of tragedies, and like what do you hear when you hear from people who have been in these crowds and experienced what it can be like to have a search like this?
1: Well, having read through literally hundreds of eyewitness accounts of people being involved in these spaces uh, that's why I do what I do. I uh, wonder that might be my kids. Uh, you know, so it's uh, trying to improve the safety, but it, it's harrowing. It's heartbreaking. Um, it's awful. Uh, you know, I, w- I wouldn't want anybody to uh, to go through that. But it's part of the job of making improvements. Now, one of the things that I do is that I, I cannot talk about any case specifics. But I can take the key learning points and develop those into training programs to make people aware of these are the sort of things that can go wrong and this, these are the sort of things you need to do to prevent that going wrong on your site.
0: After the break, what we've learned from past crowd safety disasters. We'll be right back. You said that a lot of those changes in the industry when it comes to safety regulations around crowds, that those have resulted from other incidents where people died in crowd crushes. Can you describe one or two of those incidents and the factors at play there and how they ended up causing, you know, long term change?
1: Uh, Yeah, it breaks down to one of three catalysts, either the design was not uh, sufficiently large enough or wide enough to facilitate the number of people that were going to be in that area or trying to get through that entry or exit point. So design is primarily one of the causal elements. Uh, information changes, so uh, it might be an announcement. It might be uh, somebody shout he's got a gun. It could be uh, a sudden change in the weather. Uh, you know. Um, a sudden uh, downpour, an unexpected downpour, causes the crowd to react to the environment changing. And the third one is just bad crowd management. You know, you, you haven't planned and prepared for that space. Hillsborough is one of the most uh, well-documented one.
0: And that was a soccer game that that happened at? nineteen.
1: Yeah, 1989, uh, there were some uh, 96, now 97 fatalities as a consequence of it and over 400 injuries where uh, you know, a late arrival of the crowd developed a crush outside the um, entry uh, area, which uh, didn't have enough entry points to allow to facilitate the crowd entry. A decision was made to open up an emergency exit to allow the crowd in to alleviate that pressure. Uh, the crowd then immediately proceeded down to an already overfull uh, PENS 3 and 4, Uh, which led to crowd crushing, which, again, the consequences of those actions were uh, things that back in 1989, we didn't really understand fully. So it's it's inappropriate to judge decisions that we would make now based on our understanding of crowd dynamics to decisions that were made then uh, when we didn't have this science. We didn't have uh, these kind of simulations that would allow us to test the extremes of crowds.
0: Who was who ultimately held responsible for Hillsborough for that soccer match?
1: Well, the only person that was charged was the safety manager uh, at the site. But of course, even then, the um, legislation and punishment that's that's levied out for this is uh, disproportionate to the consequences of the actions. So that case has taken over 30 years to come to fruition. And mm-hmm. even now, there's still uh, controversy around the way in which the process had let down the people that had died.
0: So given that, how likely do you think that it is that in this situation, people will be held responsible for what happened at this concert or that this will actually result in changes to regulations and rules around these kinds of events?
1: That's very difficult to say because, of course, the uh, criminal proceedings need to prove to a satisfactory standard that would stand up in court. And that, that has proven to be very difficult in the past around the world. Then, of course, civil proceedings may well uh, get involved. And, of course, they have a different kind of emphasis for culpability and liabilities. But, again, that might take several years. Now, without knowing the facts of this case, I, I don't know if any uh, physical laws were broken uh, according to the event standards. So, you know, it's it's difficult to assess this. But certainly the cases that I've worked in in the States difficult to prove criminal uh, negligence, but in terms of punitive damages, generally getting settled out of court and then sealed so that, uh, you know, n- nobody can talk about it. So no changes are made.
0: What, um, what would be your advice to concert organizers and the people who are in charge of making these decisions about how to handle huge crowds in an event like this?
1: I think there's always been an awareness that there's a, you know, there's a significant risk attached to large numbers of people in places of public assembly. Um, there haven't been appropriate training programs in place. And, I'm, you know, for the last 25 years, I've been developing and teaching this. So I think education, awareness of those risks is the first step always towards uh, making improvement. But, uh, you know, so so long as nobody dies at an event, then why make changes? Now you've got a different situation. There's been fatalities. Maybe now the industry will take notice and, and, and start to think, how do we improve?
0: Keith Still is a professor of crowd science at the University of Suffolk. The recordings that you heard from the concert were from Trey Pixley and Jack Scampi. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Emma Talkoff and mixed by Renny Svarnovsky, with production assistance from Lena Mohammed. The kind of reporting that we do is only possible because of our subscribers. Right now, you can try the Post for just a dollar a week, which gets you unlimited access to everything we publish. Learn more at WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.